This portion of the morning show is spent tracing the history of a drink, specifically the old-fashioned, one of the great classic drinks, and a drink which has an intriguing and varied history. And its fortune, so to speak, have sort of uh, ebbed and and waned and flowed and surged and uh, uh, undergone intriguing changes over the years. And much of that has been traced by author Robert Simonson in a fascinating new book called The Old Fashioned, the story of the world's first classic cocktail with recipes and lore. Uh, Robert Simonson has written for Wine Spectator, Wine Enthusiast, Imbibe, Edible, well, you get the idea, and a number of other uh, journals, the the food blog uh, Eater, and uh, he is uh, responsible for this lovely book, complete with beautiful uh, photographs and a number of recipes as well, in which one can uh, find all kinds of different ways to uh, create an old-fashioned uh, yourself. And I'm really glad we can uh, have Robert uh, Simonson with us for the next few minutes to talk about his bu- book, which is published by 10 Speed Press. Robert Simonson, we welcome you to the morning show. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, I'm not much of a drinker, so I and I certainly am not a connoisseur of alcoholic literature, so to speak, or literature about <laughs> alcohol, let's call it. But I'm just wondering... Um, are there a lot of books like this out there tracing the history of a particular drink uh, with this kind of careful eye for detail, or is this a unique or at least quite uncommon sort of book? Yeah, I'd say it's an uncommon sort of book. There, You're right. There aren't many books out there. Uh, the one drink that has gotten the uh, book-length treatment and gotten it repeatedly has been the martini over the years there must have been a dozen books just about the martini over the decades. Um, and uh, I just thought it was time that the old-fashioned one, the old-fashioned had a book of its own. Um, it's a drink that's older than the martini. It, it dates back 200 years, almost to the dawn of the Republic. And, um, and it is one of those classic drinks that kind of is uh, high up there on the, uh, whatever, the Cocktail Olympus, along with the Manhattan and the Martini and the Daiquiri. And it is also a drink that is enjoying a significant comeback right now. So it seems like the time was right. You point out uh, that it is shown with with the uh, great flourish uh, on one of the most popular programs to be viewed on television in, in recent years, uh, Mad Men, uh, which yeah. probably either s- helped signal or has helped contribute to its resurgence, um, especially for the sake of, of uh, any of our listeners who aren't directly acquainted with that show, I mean, who haven't actually watched it, um, tell them how uh, the old-fashioned uh, figures pretty prominently. Uh, the Mad Men, uh, Mad Men, it takes place uh, in the 1960s. The series began in the early 60s, and it uh, follows um, the, uh, the history and travails of a Madison Avenue ad man uh, named Don Draper. And Don Draper's drink of choice is the old-fashioned. In fact, um, in the very first episode of the very first season, before we even know his name, we know what his drink is, because his first line is asking for an old-fashioned. And you're right, uh, 
Dontre, it's a very popular series. It's been written about, and the fact that he drinks old fashions and the fact that they drink cocktails in general has helped uh, lift the profile of this drink. Um, it's not been responsible for the revival of the drink. That that responsibility can be laid at the feet of you know bartenders and mixologists who have you know taken their craft more seriously in recent years and revived a lot of these old cocktails, but. Mad Men certainly hasn't hurt the popularity of the old-fashioned, not not in the least. Hmm. Uh, in the preface of the book, uh, we learn about the uh, importance of the, the old-fashioned uh, to someone who's, to you, I'm sure, a lot more important than Don Draper, uh, namely your mother. And I really uh, <laughs> appreciate uh, the affection with which you, you write this preface as you talk about your mom. And... Uh, and in particular, the, the the really sort of careful, thoughtful way in which she uh, made her choices about what and when to to drink <laughs> a particular mm-hmm. cocktails. Um, tell our, our listeners a little more about her, and and especially how she came to uh, really appreciate and prefer the the old fashioned. Certainly. Um, well, it occurred to me as I was researching the book, you know that. Uh, the old-fashioned, I mean, it became a favorite drink of mine and an interest of mine, but it was probably also the first cocktail I ever heard of uh, by name because it was my mother's drink. And at cocktail hour, every day at five, my mother would have an old-fashioned. And so as I was wrapping up my research, I thought, you know, I mean, I should interview her and ask her, why she chose that drink and, and, and why she likes it so much. And so I did. Um, we sat down at the kitchen table in her house in Waukesha one day, and I interviewed her. I think she was a little nonplussed as to why she should be interviewed about such a thing. But I was quite surprised and quite pleased, quite pleased by the thoughtfulness of her answer. It, it had never occurred to me that she had put such a great deal of thought into her choice of drink. But, of course, that was like a different time, a different culture. In the 1950s, you know, drinking was part of social life. You went over to your friend's house, and everybody drank, and everyone had their own particular drink. So she told me how she had gone through a series of trials and errors, and she had passed on the martini. It was too strong. She passed on the Manhattan because she thought the vermouth gave her headaches. And she finally settled on the old-fashioned, mainly because you can kind of control the drink. You can, like, tell the bartender how strong or how weak you want it, how much fruit, how little fruit, and also it's a sipping drink. You can spend a long time over this drink. You can spend an hour over an old-fashioned. You can't do that with a martini because it gets warm very quickly. You basically have to drink it. But uh, that's not true with the old-fashioned. So when she gave me that very reasoned and, and interesting answer, I just thought, well, that's the introduction to my book. <laughs> it's perfect. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Robert Simonson out about his book, The Old Fashioned, The Story of the World's First Classic Cocktail with Recipes and Lore. Uh, when it comes to trying to trace the history of of a drink like The Old Fashioned, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of us, again, not, not quite so well acquainted with this whole world, uh, would sort of pass that off as not too big a deal, not too big a challenge, and I think the the more you think about it, the more you realize 
yeah, how do you do that? How do you, how do you uh, sort of sort out the history, and especially how do you trace it back towards at least close to its very beginning? Um, not just for the old-fashioned, but if we were to sit down and try to trace the history of, of any classic drink, what are the kinds of things you look for? Where, what places do you go? What resources do you uh, sift through uh, to find the history of a drink? Well, you're absolutely right. It's a tricky business. Um, I, I, because I write about cocktails and spirits for a living, I, I take them very seriously. I think it's, it's a contribution that America has made to the world, you know, along with things like jazz and the musical theater. It is something we invented. We invented the cocktail. But um, obviously, you know, when people are drinking cocktails or inventing cocktails, um, they're in bars, and any history that's written in bars is a little shaky. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a lot. Of, there tend to be uh, people tend to tell tall tales and yarns and half truths in bars, and and uh, the great historians of the 19th century weren't thinking, you know, the hist- the life of, of a bar room is the history I should be tracing. So, what you have to do is, well, you first of all you go through old cocktail books. They started being published in the 1860s, and you see what drinks are in there and the recipes and that are there. Usually the author is a bartender, and he has a lengthy introduction, which is usually his philosophy on running a bar and creating drinks. Uh, you go to the archives of old newspapers. Certain newspapers um, are sort of interested in this sort of thing, and uh, every now and then they have a feature story about a popular bartender or a new drink that's taken the town by storm. You look at old menus, um, and another thing you do is you read novels of the time, because usually there's a scene, often there's a scene in a bar, and you get a picture of how people drank and what they drank at a particular time. Hmm. One of the chapters of your book is called First the Whiskey Cocktail. And uh, this would be seem to be sort of a predecessor to the old fashioned, or maybe even the first version of the old fashioned. How do we Correct. place uh, the whiskey cocktail uh, in this history of the old fashioned? Um, the thing to you have to keep in mind when you're thinking about the history of this drink is the full name of the drink. We all just call it the old fashioned because that's what we're used to. It's shorthand. But the full name is Old Fashioned Whiskey Cocktail. That's what it used to be called. And so that means that it was originally just the whiskey cocktail. Um, That's what people called it for much of the 19th century. And a whiskey cocktail was simply whiskey with a little water, a little bitters, and a little sugar, and maybe a twist. Um, There came to be a point in the 1870s where bartenders were starting to get a little fancy they had new products on their shelves from Europe, things like uh, curacao and absinthe and various liqueurs. And they started trying them out in the cocktails. And this caused the old, uh, the old codgers and the people who liked their drink just so to start asking for an old-fashioned whiskey cocktail so that the bartender knew exactly what they wanted. They didn't want any of this newfangled stuff. They just wanted the basic whiskey cocktail. But, yeah, that's where the drink started as the whiskey cocktail. There are all kinds of terms in your book that I don't know or didn't know at all until I picked up your book. Uh, one of the first that came up was when you talk about uh, the whiskey cocktail being a drink 
that was primarily uh, drunk in the morning. Uh, what is this interesting term that uh, refers to that? Yeah, matutinal. It basically means morning, a morning thing. Um, yeah, drinking habits were different back then. Um, the saloons opened early, and it was not unknown for a gentleman to like to pay a visit to the saloon before he went on to work. Uh, it was, those kind of drinks were called eye-openers. You know, they just got you ready for the day. You have to remember that back then... Um, Certain spirits and certainly uh, bitters, which were often found in cocktails, were thought to be restorative and medicinal, and um, and to actually make you healthier. And this was also a time when you didn't necessarily trust the water source, so you may, choosing to drink spirits or beer uh, was thought by many to be a healthier choice. Hmm. Uh, the the chapter I especially enjoyed in your book is, is called The Rebellion, and it opens with this sentence. The history of the cocktail is one of advancement and correction, fashion and backlash. And this refers to something you've already touched on in, in the interview, namely that uh, the old-fashioned, as it was known in a sort of purest, simplest, most straightforward sense, became a, a drink that got increasingly complicated by uh, mm-hmm. other uh, additions to it. Um, what was behind that, behind people sort of fussing with uh, the whiskey cocktail and uh, adding all of these things to it? Was it just what you mentioned, the fact that these other things were were now available and just too tempting not to use? Well, that was part of it. Um between the Civil War and Prohibition, there was a real golden age of the cocktail. Back then, the bartender was a, a really respected and venerated figure in the community. Um, it wasn't what it became after World War II, just kind of a work-a-day job, a dead-end job for people who didn't have um, an extensive education. Um, everybody looked up to the bartender and... Um, and uh, and was interested in what he was doing. Um, and the bartender took pride in his work. Uh, he really cared about, you know, whether his drinks tasted good. And he took pride in the idea that he could invent new drinks that became popular. So um, it's understandable that he would get excited, you know, when suddenly there's a new product. Um, I mean, this still happens today. A new product is suddenly on the market. And, uh, and bartenders want to see, you know, what can I do with this? So, uh, you know, absinthe was, a, you know, a good example. It came over, you know, it was very popular in France and Switzerland and thereabouts. And it came over to these shores, and then the bartender started thinking, well, what, what would this taste like if I put it in this drink? And, uh, and that's what they did. Bar- bartenders, when they're at the height of their skills, are always very... Curious and, and inventive people, I have found. <laughs> Two nuts and bolts matters with the, the old fashioned uh, are worth talking about, I think. One of them is the kind of ice or the shape of the ice or whether or mm-hmm. not there's ice at all in the drink. Uh, mm-hmm. That's been sort of different here and there, but there is a way in which, in the purest sense, you put ice in into an old-fashioned. Uh, describe to our listeners what I'm talking about. 
Well, uh, in the beginning, when it was just the whiskey cocktail, uh, it uh, that drink was served without ice. You you um, you stirred it over ice, but then you strained it into a glass with no ice. Um, somewhere around the 1880s, 1890s, the old fashioned started being served the way that we know it today, um, fixed in, uh, served in the same glass in which it is prepared, and served on ice. Um, we're not quite sure why that change happened. It may have been that you know. Ice was fashionable. You have to remember that ice was like a, a sought-after commodity. It wasn't an everyday thing. And it may have been the drinking habits changed. Um, in the early 19th century, uh, drinks weren't very long for the world. They were drunk quickly. Um, but toward the end of the 19th century, we were in the Gilded Age, and there were these beautiful grand cafes that people drank in, and people drank in a more leisurely fashion. So that's um, how the role of ice changed over the years. How about this matter of the spoon? This is especially <laughs> fascinating. Uh, t- tell our listeners why a spoon uh, has sometimes been uh, an essential element or implement when it comes to serving up uh, an old-fashioned. Yes, that was one of my favorite discoveries in researching the book. As I looked through old cocktail books in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Whenever there was a recipe for the old-fashioned, the last line of the instructions was always served with spoon in glass. And um, as far as I can tell, uh, the spoon served uh, the purpose of, like, the drinker being able to stir up the drink a little more and help the sugar dissolve a little more because the drink was always made with a sugar cube that was uh, muddled with water, and so there was a a little bit of, you know, that granular stuff at the bottom of the glass. And so you could stir it up, and also when the drink was done, if you chose to, you could take the spoon and scoop up the remaining sugar, which tasted wonderfully of of whiskey and bitters, and just put it into your mouth like a little bit of dessert at the end of the glass. But invariably, this is how the drink was made. Um, This this quaint little tradition got forgotten during Prohibition, and after Prohibition, nobody put a spoon in the glass anymore. You just mentioned Prohibition, and of course, if uh, if you're going to trace the history of and the story of, of, of any alcoholic beverage that's been around for a while, the matter of Prohibition has to figure in there somehow. Uh, yes. What is the effect of the Prohibition years on the old-fashioned, as as near as you could ascertain? Um, As I mentioned in the book, Prohibition didn't do favors to any drinks. Um, One of the effects of Prohibition is that bartenders were out of a job. So they either, you know, they gave up, they found a new profession, or they went to Europe or Cuba or other places to practice their profession. So Prohibition lasted 13 years, after that, you know, when the bars reopened, there were very few people who knew or remembered how to do the job well. I mean, the young people didn't didn't know anything, and uh, and there weren't many older people to teach them. So uh, you get to the end of Prohibition, and you have to basically learn all over again, you know, how to make the drinks. And the effect of that had a strange one. It was a strange effect on the old-fashioned because basically the old-fashioned changed completely. It was still a whiskey drink, but whereas before Prohibition, it had almost never had fruit, or if 
if it had fruit, it had it as a garnish. After Prohibition, old fashions were always served with fruit, and often the fruit was muddled, you know, smashed up at the bottom of the glass. Mm. So it, it turned into a kind of a sort of a fruit punch. <laughs> and, and that's basically how we still know it, most of us today. If you go to most bars and you order an old-fashioned, you don't specify, that's how it will be served. You also devote a chapter to the fact that uh, your your mother was not the only woman to be especially fond of the old-fashioned, that this became the drink of choice for many women in, uh, in the uh, post-Prohibition era. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's true. That was an interesting discovery. Um, when Prohibition ended, all the newspapers sent out their reporters to, like, find out, you know, what was going on in the bars, how were they coping with the change, and what were they serving, and who was drinking it. And what they found was that the old-fashioned was still popular, very popular, but they also found out that it was very popular among women. Um, one of the changes probably, well, I'd say one of the good changes that was wrought by Prohibition was that women could now drink in public. In the speakeasies in the 20s, women and men sat side by side, and, you know, that hadn't been the case before Prohibition. It was not it was not thought to be ladylike um, to be in a bar. But after Prohibition, women uh, felt they could go into bars and freely order drinks, and what they ordered was sweet drinks, old-fashioned mainly. And uh, I think they uh, played a role in, in the drink uh, coming back, you know, uh, coming back with a vengeance. Hmm. You are speaking to someone at an NPR affiliate that's right in the southern corner of, of uh, Wisconsin. Uh, so Illinois is just across the border. And I think a lot of our listeners would, would be especially interested in your book because there's a whole chapter that talks about kind of a a variant on the old-fashioned preferred here in Wisconsin, and mm-hmm. and the city of Chicago also yeah. figures pretty prominently in the history of the old-fashioned. Uh, yeah. Tell us uh, about both of those strains of the story. Well, as far as Chicago is concerned, um, the first appearance of the old-fashioned in a cocktail book was in a uh, book published by a Chicago bartender named Theodore Prue in 1888, and he worked at a famous Chicago uh, bar called Chapin and Gore. And there are, there's also, I mean, we'll never know exactly, uh, you know, where the old-fashioned started or where it became popular. That kind of history is is lost forever. But um, there are good indications that uh, it was an extremely popular drink um, all the years up until Prohibition in Chicago. Um, makes a lot of sense. You know, Chicago is very near Kentucky, they uh, had a ready access to a lot of bourbon, and also, you know, Chicago is a you know a broad-shouldered town, and of course, you know, the men are are going to drink uh, strong spirits. Um, so that's the Chicago connection. As far as Wisconsin, well, you know, uh, the brandy old-fashioned is basically Wisconsin's state drink, and it has been as far as I as I can remember. So um, I, I I think of Wisconsin as one of the incubators, one of the uh, places in the nation that kept the old-fashioned alive as a cocktail in uh, like the 80s and 90s when the rest of the nation had almost forgotten about it. Mm. In our closing minute or two, um, say a word about this uh, intriguing portion of the book in which you serve up a whole 
bunch of different recipes for the old fashioned, starting with, of course, the, the classic drink in fairly pure form, but then uh, some really intriguing variations on it as well. And, and amongst them, do you uh, have a favorite or two? Sure. Um, of course, strictly speaking, uh, there's the old fashioned is one recipe. Um, you know, it's, it's the whiskey old fashioned that we all know. And you can have it with fruit or you cannot have it with fruit. That's, that's your choice. But the thing about um, the recipe for the old-fashioned is it's highly adaptable. It's so simple, you know, just spirit, sugar, water, bitters, that you can apply it to almost anything. You can change the spirit, you can change the bitters, you can change the sweetener, you can change all three. It's still recognizably in structure and old-fashioned, and yet it's a new drink. Um, a lot of uh, bartenders and mixologists have been inventing their own versions of the old-fashioned in recent years, the past five or six years, and I include quite a few of those. Um, one I like in particular is called the Awaka old-fashioned, which, uh, in which you use tequila and mezcal instead of whiskey. It's a very simple drink, but it's delicious. Um, there's another one in there that it, it was invented by a Chicago bartender, named Mike Ryan, called the uh, Clint Eastwood. And it involves a little bit of chartreuse as a sweetener. And I like that one very much, too. Hmm. I am actually not much of a drinker, but uh, when I feel like having something relatively strong, pretty strong for me, I order a Southern Comfort old-fashioned sweet. Oh, there you go. Now, uh, is that just, for someone like you, is that just... uh, pure fruit punch or is uh, or is or is that a perfectly respectable version of the old fashioned oh uh, everything's respectable if you like it it sounds a <laughs> bit on the sweet side right <laughs> <laughs> um I'm, I'm not i'm not sure do you do you add a little sugar as well as the, old, the southern comfort or does the southern comfort provide the sugar i think the southern comfort provides the sugar yeah well that that might be fine i've actually know other people who, who enjoy that drink um, but, uh, the, the thing about the old fashioned is that I think it has a reputation as a strong drink, but as I said before, it's a sipping drink. So it's a strong drink. You can drink over a long period of time. So in a way it, it's, it's both strong and, and mild to a certain manner of thinking. Hmm. Well, it's an intriguing history and you've done a great job of tracing it and, uh, uh, and, uh, Listeners who are intrigued to to know more uh, should take your beautiful book in hand. Again, it's called The Old Fashioned, The Story of the World's First Classic Cocktail with Recipes and Lore. It's published by Ten Speed Press and a very pretty book full of full-color photographs. And the author, Robert Simonson. Robert Simonson, I've enjoyed your book and this chat. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Morning Show. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you.